Praise God. In Acts chapter 7, of course, in Acts 6, we saw Stephen coming forth here in these chapters in the book of Acts, and they had accused him of speaking against God, speaking against Moses, speaking against the holy place, speaking against the law. But he didn't speak against any of them. He was just trying to show them the fulfillment of them. Say, feel to the full in Jesus Christ. And he was trying to show them and get them to understand the reality of the Spirit. Amen. Which leads us into, the Bible says that as he's preaching there, and it's like a, really it's in a debate that's going on. And we see as a result of his preaching, verse 15 of chapter 6, all that sat in the council looked steadfastly on him. Say, on him. On who? On Stephen. But really they were looking on Jesus through him. Jesus was standing up in him. And that's where the glory was coming from. Say the glory. So they saw his face as it had been the face of an angel. Because he was absorbing the light and emitting the light of God. And, and who is the light? Jesus. And as a result of this, and of course... Uh, brought before the council here in chapter 7, verse 1. Then said the high priest. Say the high priest. And we're talking about the priest after the order of Aaron, right? Still operating at this time. Then said the high priest, are these things so? What things? Well, have you spoken against Moses? Have you spoken against the law? Have you spoken against the holy place, etc.? Have you spoken against God? And verse 2, then he begins a long message covering history. But it's not just a history lesson. He's got a reason for what he's saying. History is his story. It's Jesus. And so really, again, uh, it goes back to he was saying this Jesus was fulfilling these things. And so they said, this Jesus, they, he said, the, I'm talking about they, I'm talking about the religious leaders said that Stephen said that this Jesus would destroy the temple. You with me here? Which means it would be eventually taken out of the way and replaced by him, right? You understand that? Okay, chapter 7, then said the high priest, are these things? So he said, men, brethren, and fathers, hearken the God of glory. So he's glowing there with the glory of God. And he starts out his message with the God of glory. And he ends that message with the God of glory. He starts it with Abraham. He ends it with Jesus. So Jesus is the God of glory. How many believe that he's the God of glory? The same God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. He just added to himself another nature, humanity. And so Jesus, uh, God has a body. You are his body. So the Bible said, men and brethren and fathers hearken. The God of glory appeared unto A our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Haran. Father God, I just thank you for your awesome word today. 
Speak, God, in the hearts of everybody that is here. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So he starts preaching this message to the religious leaders. Say, religious leaders. As he's preaching, he's preaching, first of all, about the God of glory. And he says, the God of glory appeared to Abraham while he dwelt in Mesopotamia. That God dwelt or appeared to Abraham before there was a temple. Before there was a law. Right? And so their focus religiously, the religious leaders, their focus is the temple. Their focus is the physical land. Their focus is the physical Jerusalem. Their focus is the keeping the ceremonial law. You with me here? And they have lost sight of that Jesus has come and brought in a new age. That he has brought in the world to come. Because the world to come is the, the spirit. Do you understand that? That they fail to understand that the shadows, all of those Old Testament things were shadows to preach Jesus. So they misinterpreted the law. They misinterpreted Moses. They misinterpreted the temple. They misinterpreted the land. Now the temple had significance. The land had significance. But it was to teach them about the spiritual. Comparing spiritual things with spiritual, right? But they missed all of that. And they got caught up in religion. They got caught up in ritual. They got caught up in, uh, you know, ceremony. And they missed the spirit. In fact, in John 8, Jesus said this. You don't even know God. Jesus said, I know him, but you don't even know God. Now, these people claim to, be, to know God. They are the Jewish people. They are God's covenant people of the Old Testament, right? They claim to know God. Jesus comes along and says, you don't even know God. Wow. Now, <clears throat> it'd be like me walking into a church saying, you don't even know God. But the thing is, they didn't know God. They just was going through the, you know, the church. You get religious. So, as a church for me, I don't want to get just religious. I don't want to go just through the motions. I don't want to get into a ritual. But, and God not even be in the thing. And go and have church and God wasn't even there. And that's what they were doing. They were having church and God wasn't even there. He wasn't in their temple. Wow. He wasn't in their ritual. You with me here? He had come in the embodiment of Jesus Christ. He was God walking among them. The God of glory was walking among them. And so Stephen is using an example here. He's saying the God of glory appeared unto our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Iran. There was no temple. He didn't even appear to Abraham when Abraham was in the promised land. He appeared to him in the Babylon he appeared to him in, in Gentile country. Hello. God is not limited to a sanctuary. He's not limited to just Jerusalem. You can't put him in a box. God is moving the whole time he's moving. And, and so what Stephen is trying to get them to understand is Abraham had to move with God. God appeared to him in a, in a pagan land, so to speak, Babylon, and called him out. So he's saying to them, you need to move with God. 
you don't move with God, then everything that God gave you becomes uh, idolatry. You become, you worship the things that God gave you, rather than worshiping the God who gave it. So you need to learn to move with this God. And this is an important message for the church. So he appeared, say he appeared to our father Abraham. Now he's got their attention now. Because he's talking about Father Abraham, right? Then the Bible says, he said unto him, get thee out of thy country. Say, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and come into the land which I will show thee. So you're going to have to move with me, Abraham. See, God talked to him outside of Jerusalem. God talked to him outside of a temple. God appeared to him outside of a temple. God appeared to him outside of Jerusalem. And he appeared to him where? In Babylon. So he's telling him, you're going to have to get up out of here and you have to go somewhere else. You're going to have to move. If you're going to go where I'm going, you've got to go with me. Praise God. And then he goes on and says in verse 4, Then came he out of the land of Chaldeans. Say the Chaldeans. And he dwelt in Haran and from thence... When his father was dead, he removed him into this land wherein you now dwell. And he gave him no inheritance in it. No, not so much as to set his foot on. Yet he promised that he would give it to him for a possession and to his seed after him when as yet he had no child. He's telling him here that Abraham, God brought him into the land, but he didn't give it to him as an inheritance. Wow, that's interesting. He gave it to him as a possession, but not as an inheritance. Why is that? Because God wanted Abraham and his children, his seed, to trust in him and not the land. You got the point here? Trust in God, not the land. They're trusting the temple. They're trusting, come on, are you with me here? They're trusting all the outward, external covenant things, rather than the internal covenant things. So from the very start, he's trying to say, get your eyes on the invisible God. This man, Stephen, is from the dispersion. And the dispersion have learned that God is with them all over the world. That God's not just with them there in Jerusalem in a, a physical location, a geographical location, a physical temple. That God is invisible. He is everywhere. And he said, even God, when God gave him the land, he didn't give him the land as an inheritance. Because he wanted them to trust in God. Jesus is the promised land. Do you understand that? In him we live and move and have our being. Not in a land geographically. But in him we live and move and have our being. Whew. Praise God. Say in him. In the invisible God. Not in a geographical place. If that's the case, then all of us need to catch a plane to Israel today. You with me? Praise God. Now, so the Bible goes on and says this. So he didn't even have it as an inheritance. In verse 6, and God spake on this wise, that his seed should sojourn in a strange land. They should bring them into bondage and entreat them evil 400 years. And that nation to whom they shall be in bondage will I judge, said God. And after that shall they come forth and serve me in this place. He said, look at your history. He said, there was a time, four centuries, that you didn't even dwell in the land. 
Hello? You were taken captive and then restored back to the land. Why is that happening? God wants you to get hit your eyes on Him. Not the land itself. I don't know if you're getting this, but anyway. Bible goes on and says this in verse 8. He gave him the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham begat Isaac and circumcised him the eighth day. And Isaac begat Jacob and Jacob begat the twelve patriarchs. And the patriarchs moved with envy, sold Joseph in Egypt. But God was with him. So now he goes on and he starts talking about saviors that have come. I said saviors have come. Number one, Joseph came. And you mistreated Joseph. You mis... Come on. You with me here? You resented him. You misunderstood him. But he became revealed to you. And then he reigned. All the saviors that have ever come to you, Israel, you rejected them at the beginning. You've done the same thing with Jesus. Got the point here? Jesus is the seed of Abraham. Jesus is the promised land. Got it? Je- Jesus is who Abraham looked for. You got that? Bible goes on and says this, all right? The patriarchs moved with him. He sold Joseph into Egypt, but God was with him and delivered him out of all his afflictions and gave him every wisdom in the sight of the Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He made him governor over Egypt and all his house. Now there came a dearth over all the land of Egypt and uh, Canaan and great affliction. And our fathers found no sustenance. Say a passion for substance. The early church has a passion for substance. And, and so he's preaching substance here. Now go to Hebrews 11. Let me show you something. Substance. Not the types and the shadows are not the focus. Yeah, come on. Chapter 11, verse 1. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. For by it, elders obtained a good report. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear, right? And, of course, we know the Bible says Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. But faith is the substance you with me? Of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. We live in substance days. Now faith. Not old covenant type faith. But now faith is the substance. I don't live in promise faith. I live in fact faith. I don't live in type faith. Or shadow faith. I live in substance faith. Faith. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. They hoped for it in the Old Testament, but Jesus has come. He's here. The facts are here. The reality here is here. The spiritual is here. You got that, right? And I don't even live in author faith. I now live in finisher faith. He's the author and finisher of my faith, right? But Specifically speaking, I'm in finisher faith right now. I'm in the time of the finished work, praise God. I'm not in the types. Of, listen, I preach and I study the types and shadows. What for? To preach Jesus. Till you get this, the Bible's not going to mean much to you, old or new. You with me? Even the feast be 
speak of Jesus. Joseph, his life speaks of Jesus. He's a type of Jesus, the Savior of the world. Joseph's name was Zephania, which means Savior of the world. So all the types and the shadows, history is his story. That's what Stephen's trying to get them to see. Focus on God. Hello, somebody. See Jesus. Get a revelation of the God of glory. Get in the time of substance. Get in the spirit. The age of the spirit right now. Not the age of the external. Get in the age of the spirit. Woo. The invisible God of glory. Move in that. Move in him. See him. He's the fulfillment of all of these things. Just one example so, you, so I can get you here in this thing. Let me, you know, the book of Acts is an awesome book. And that's, Stephen's trying to get them to understand the true understanding of the Old Testament. But when you look at Jesus, remember in John chapter 7? In the Feast of Tabernacles? The Bible says that, you know, the Feast of Tabernacles, the priest would go into the pool of Siloam, and he would dip into the pool of Siloam, bring up water, right? It's a part of their ceremony. Now, as soon as the priest walked up to the pool of Siloam and dipped his cup, we'll call it, into the water to bring it up, Jesus stood there in the shadows, and he said, if any thirst, let him come to me. What he wants you to understand is the Feast of Tabernacles is fulfilled in him. He said, let him come to me. He said, destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. They thought he was talking about an external temple. He wasn't talking about external covenant temple. He was talking about the temple, his body. They could not understand that. They couldn't see that. Woo, praise. Give God praise. Woo. So that all history and scripture, prophecy is pointing to him. The tabernacle is pointing to him. Joseph is pointing to him. Moses is pointing to him. All the feasts are pointing to him. Hello, are you with me here? And they are spiritually fulfilled in him. Why is it when we look at the types and the shadows, we have a hard time seeing their fulfillment in him? If we understand prophecy, was it prophecy given to point to a fulfillment? Then was not the feast also given to point to a fulfillment? Yes, if they were not given to do that, then their end is in, of, in and of themselves. And the listen, God gave the feast not to be the end in and of themselves, but to teach you spiritual things. He gave... He gave Abraham land, not just for the land's sake, but he gave Abraham land to teach him rest. He, he gave land to Abraham, not just to, teach, to show him geographical things, but he gave Abraham land to teach him the promise. Come on, are you with me right now? He gave Abraham the land to teach him of a heavenly land. This, the earthly land was just a shadow land they were moving in. The temple was just a shadow land they were moving in. The tabernacle was just a, a shadow land they were moving in. Hello. Until finally we see it fulfilled in Christ. Woo, give God some praise. And so what creates a shadow in the Old Testament is what Steve is trying to get them to see. What creates the shadows of the Old Testament, whether it be Joseph, the land, uh, uh, Moses, or whatever, uh, whatever creates uh, the shadow, it's not the shadow itself that makes the shadow. It's something standing in light that creates a shadow.
So God from the beginning cast his light on, on an object, an object to create a shadow. So that a shadow is the reflection of an object that is standing in light. So what we have then is what is the object that is standing in light that creates all the Old Testament stories. And listen, shadows is Jesus. And ultimately the cross. He must be seen standing there in the light for there to be a shadow. And so Stephen comes along and he's telling them, he's preaching the spiritual reality to them. And he, they think he's blaspheming the God. They think he's blaspheming the holy place. They think he's blaspheming Moses. They think he's blaspheming, come on, all the things they trusted in. Their customs, their ceremonies, their ritual, their way of life. They think he's speaking against, no, he just said, let me tell you what it's all about. Let me tell you what it's really preaching. It's telling you that something was standing in light that created all that shadow. And his name is Jesus. In fact, Abraham didn't even have, hello somebody, he didn't even have a land. He didn't even have a temple. But the God of glory, the God of light appeared to him. We'll give God praise. The country that Abraham was looking for was not a geographical place. The country that Abraham was looking for was a spiritual country. Are you with me right now? Look at him say, in him we live and move and have our being. Uh, not, in, not in a place, not in a land geographically, but in him. If any man thirsts, let him come unto me. I'm the fulfillment of this tabernacle. And so then Stephen's going to use the illustration. He's going to show them Joseph. Well, what you did to Jesus, you did to Joseph in the Old Testament. You claim to, uh, listen, they claim to uh, believe in Moses. They, they, they claim to be true to Moses, true to the sanctuary, true to the word, true to the prophets, true to the law. He stands up. Stephen says, you haven't kept any of it. You have mistreated the sanctuary. You've mistreated the word of God, the scripture. You have disobeyed. Come on, listen to me. You have disobeyed the law. You broke the law. He Listen, now they're, they're claiming that he's the one that's speaking against Moses and speaking against the law and speak, come on, are you with me? And speaking against God. But Moses, uh, or, or Stephen's going to say, no, it's you. And he said, I'm going to give you example after example after example that when God sent his saviors, you rejected them. In fact, God had to take you out of the land because you were disobedient. You claim to have been obedient, you know, but you were disobedient, so God had to take you out of the land for four centuries. You didn't have a promised land or no temple. Hello, somebody. So you're accusing me of one thing, but you have done the worst. <laughs> 
Now, they didn't like that. They didn't want to hear that because they wanted to, you know, to appear like as the people who love God and the people who love the sanctuary of God and the people who love the law of God and the people who love the land of God. Are you here today? And the people who love the prophets. And Stephen says, no, you, you have not loved any of it. In fact, you have broken all of it and you have mistreated the saviors that God's. Yeah, hello, somebody. You have become self-righteous depending on the flesh. Abraham, he goes on and he says about Abraham. He said Abraham was circumcised so that Abraham would learn not to trust in the flesh. Nothing that the flesh will produce is what God is after. He's not after what the flesh produces. He's only after what the spirit produces. So that he gave Abraham a covenant that incorporated within it circumcision so that you don't trust in the flesh, Abraham. Now, you know, no wonder they got mad at him. He's shaking their whole system up, man. Their whole way of belief. And then so we always say, well, let's look at, we, okay, let's look here. Let's look at uh, Joseph then. Patriarchs move with envy. Say envy. Why did they sell Joseph? Envy. Got jealous of Joseph. What happened when Jesus came? They crucified him. Why? Envy. They were jealous of him. Woo. Now what you need to understand is you've got a man here named Stephen who Jesus is standing up in. Woo. And Stephen's preaching to them because he knows he's got a job on his hands and that is to get them where he is. This man is talking like Jesus. He's speaking with a wisdom and a spirit that they cannot overcome. He's talking like Jesus. He's doing signs, miracles, and wonders just like Jesus did. And now he's going to suffer just like Jesus suffered. So Jesus is being re re uh, duplicated in Stephen. Now, what you need to understand, now Lord, watch this. This is awesome. Thank you, Jesus. What is happening is a Jesus standing up and speaking to a man named Stephen and signs, miracles, and wonders taking place. How? Because it's the same thing that Jesus did. So he's standing up in that man. And so Jesus is there being seen by these people. And now so Stephen is saying this. Your whole history, Israel, is to preach to you about the true Israel. Jesus is the true Israel. I didn't say the church was the true Israel. I said Jesus was the true Israel. And so that everything that happened in the history of Israel was pointing to Jesus. And everything that will happen in the future is pointing to Jesus. That's what he's trying to get them to see. See Jesus standing up in me? Do you see Jesus in all the history here? Give God praise. So they sold Joseph. Well, you sold Jesus for 20 pieces of silver. Well, now we say we know Judas did that. But really, ultimately, they as a group of people, and not only they, but the Gentiles also sold him out. They betrayed him. They, why? Because of envy. Because of jealousy. 
in the presence of uh, their wickedness, I'm talking about the brothers, you have a man named Joseph who is very righteous and very godly and very kind. Hello, somebody. But his brothers are evil. And so because of who Joseph is, it causes their wicked hearts to rise up against him. Now, we look at this passage and we say, well, that only happens in the days of the early church. It's still here today. <laughs> the church as a whole will fight those and persecute those that are godly uh, because of their own wickedness, because of their own lack of walking with God. They will rise up and hate men and women who walk with God. And they will sell them out. They'll betray them in a heartbeat. Ultimately, come on somebody. It's not because of the evil that Joseph did. It was because of the good that Joseph was. So Jesus comes along and Joseph is a picture of Jesus. He's saying, look, he was a savior. Get the point. You rejected him at the first. Now watch what he says. He goes on. Woo, hallelujah. Praise God. But God was with him and delivered him out of all his afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom in the sight of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he made him governor over Egypt and all his house. Now there came a dearth over all the land of Egypt and Canaan and great affliction. And our fathers found no sustenance. But when Jacob heard that there was a corn, say corn, in Egypt, he sent out our fathers first. Now, what happened then? Okay, we know that Joseph was rejected. He was resented. He was, there was envy against him. That's what they did to Jesus. Now, Joseph, though, is taken from a place of prison, and he's exalted to the throne. He is revealed, are you with me, and placed on a throne in Egypt. Now, at that time, then Israel has to go up, and they have to get sustenance. They have to get substance from him. Do you understand what I'm saying? So what, listen, Stephen is telling these people is, you have rejected Jesus, you sold him, you envied him, you crucified him, but there's going to come a time in a seven-year tribulation period that you're going to have to go to him. You're going to have to go to him for sustenance. <laughs> Now, they don't want to hear that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, but see, you had to do it in the Old Testament, and you're going to have to do it in the New Testament, too. What you did then is going to be seen in the future. You rejected your Savior, but in the future time of trouble, in the future tribulation there, then you will have to go to Him, and you will go to Him. Wow. Now, remember, they're claiming to be the holy people here, man. Yeah. <laughs> Verse 13, at the second time, say the second coming. At the second time, Joseph was made known to his brethren, and Joseph Kindred was made known unto Pharaoh. So now we see his first coming, he was rejected, but in the future, they're going to turn back to him. Hello, as a nation. God is not through with Israel as a nation. They will begin to see. He is the fulfillment. He's the one the prophets spoke about. He's the one that the types and shadows was all about. History is his story. In fact, we can look at our own experience uh, through history, and we can see that he's the true Israel of God. 
So that's what's said of the servant of Jehovah in Isaiah is also at times spoken to Israel at, at the same time. Oh, praise God. And so the prophets are going to begin to make sense to them. Yeah. Woo, hallelujah. And they're going to turn back to Jesus. And they're going to get a revelation of him. They're going to see him. And when they get a revelation of him, they're going to say, hey, where'd you get these nail prints in your hands? Where'd you get those scars? He said, I received them in the house of my friends. Now watch. Okay, now they know what he, where he's going with all of this, all right? Because he's preaching Jesus to them, all right? You with me? Okay, now the scripture says this. So Jacob went down into Egypt. He died, he and our fathers, and were carried over into Shechem, that'd be Shechem, and laid in a sepulcher that Abraham bought for a sum of money of the sons of Emor, the father of Shechem. But when the time of the promise drew nigh, say when the time of the promise drew nigh, which God had sworn to Abraham, the people grew and multiplied in Egypt, till another king arose which knew not Joseph. The same dealt subtly with our kindred, and evil entreated our fathers, so that they cast out their young children to the end that they might not live. Now watch. Okay, so now you've got, remember whenever you were in the land there, and uh, you were taken captive, of course, this is after Joseph took care of you, and then you all moved back up there. You took 75 of your family, and you moved into uh, the land of Egypt, right? You with me here, church? This was after your captivity. But you moved inside there. Give God praise. You moved inside of Egypt there. And eventually you became captive. That's what it is. You became captive in that land. Away from your land. And not only that. But the king of Egypt tried to destroy completely your whole nation. But God made a promise to Abraham. And Abraham wasn't even alive. But God made a promise to Abraham. That he would keep you and bring you back into that land. Nothing can stop the promises of God. It doesn't matter if he's got... It doesn't matter if Pharaoh's got to the concentration camps in Egypt. It doesn't matter if Pharaoh, hello somebody, if Pharaoh's got all the henchmen that he's got there. It doesn't matter. You can't stop God's purpose. He made a promise. Say a promise. God wants you to trust in him. Tried to wipe them all out, but God kept his promise that he had sworn to Abraham, verse 17. The people grew and multiplied in where? Egypt. I'm going to tell you something. Sometimes you think there's no way that uh, any growth can take place in the church. But God can bring growth right now. You know why he's going to do that? Because of his promise. The Bible goes on and says, Till another king rose, which knew not Joseph. The same dealt suddenly with our kindred, and evil entreated our fathers, so they cast out their young children to the end that they might not live. In which time Moses was born. Now we got another Savior. His name is Moses. Moses is brought up here, and he is seen also as one that was misunderstood. You claim to follow Moses, but they misunderstood Moses, and you misunderstand Moses. Give God praise. Another Savior's come. All right. In which time Moses was born, and was exceeding fair, and nourished up in his house, father's house, three months. When he was cast out, Pharaoh's daughter took him up and nourished him for her own son. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians that was mighty in words and in deeds. And when he was a full 40, say full 40. Look at your neighbor and say, life begins at 40. 
not at 80. I'm just now starting to live. <laughs> Life begins at 40. Well, you know the story of Moses, right? He got into a fight. I want to tell you something. You never start living until you start fighting. You got to find something to fight for. You remember the story, right? Well, let's go on. Let's see what happened. In which time Moses was born, it was a seating fair and nourished up in his father's house three months. When he was cast out, say cast out. Well, he had to be put in a little ark. The ark speaks of Jesus. Moses is the type of Jesus. Pharaoh's daughter took him up and nourished him for her own son. And Moses was learning all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and in deeds. And he was a full 40 years old. Came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. Why would you do that, Moses? You're sitting over here in the palace. And they're over in Goshen. Why would you leave the palace and go where your kinsmen are, your brethren are? Because something's moving in your heart to redeem him. God's raising you up to be a redeemer, a savior of those people. You're in the palace, but you're going to go from the palace to Goshen. Are you here right now? Do you understand what I'm saying? So Jesus, again, laid out typically by Moses, the Bible says, are you here right now? That at one time, he being God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. But he came down here, he condescended and took on the form of a man. Why? So that he could go down into Goshen where the ruined race of Adam was. He didn't have to come off the throne and put on human flesh and walk among us. But he came to the ruined ru race of Adam to what? To redeem them. But just like when Moses came there, he was misunderstood. Jesus was misunderstood. Here we go. Watch this. Praise God. In verse 24, seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended him. He got into a fight. Yeah, he didn't want to just redeem them, but he wanted to bring peace to them. So Jesus, when he came, he not only wanted to redeem them, but he wanted to bring peace to them. But there were fractions and divisions all over Israel. You had the Pharisees, the scribes. The, are you with me right now? Pharisees, Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes, Essenes, all of them in factions and all of them in division against each other. So Jesus came to redeem them, but not only to redeem them, but to bring peace to them. Moses was raised up by God to redeem them, but not just to redeem them, but to bring peace to their factions. Give God praise. And so as a result of this, he tries to get in the middle of something, and he gets into a fight. And when he gets into a fight, he kills this guy, buries him in the sand. You with me here? Give God some praise. So really, that's when he really started living. Up to that point, he was sort of in the palace, you know, kind of really not involved in life. But God at some point starts stirring his heart, not his mind, but his heart. Starts stirring his heart for his kinsman down there in Goshen goes down there and sees this conflict going on between the two of them and so the Bible says that he he tries to separate them now remember the story he killed the Egyptian and buried him in the sand when he saw him beating one of his uh, brethren but now he's trying to separate his kinsmen in their factions and so they rise up and they say who made you a ruler over us Moses give God praise and that's really basically what they said to Jesus. Who made thee a ruler over us? 
Verse 25, for he supposed his brethren would have understood how that God by his hand would deliver them, but they understood not. So now we see another man by the name of Moses who is misunderstood. He is a redeemer and a peace bringer to the nation, a savior, if you will, to bring them into an exodus, a departure out of the bondage of the devil, out of the bondage of Egypt, out of the world system, out of the devil's bondage from all of these things, and to bring peace to them. But they didn't understand Moses. And they're claiming that he has spoken against Moses. Hello. Watch this. This is pretty powerful. The Bible says, now, okay, let me read to you here. Next, verse 26, the next day he showed himself unto them as they strove and would have sent them at one again, saying, Sirs, you are brethren, why do you wrong one to another? But he that did his neighbor wrong thrust him away, saying, Who made thee a ruler and a judge over us? Yeah, we know the story, how you kill. Wilt thou kill me as thou didst the Egyptian yesterday? We know you killed an Egyptian, now you're trying to come in here and separate us. See, Moses is completely understood. But remember, at this time, they're claiming to have always followed Moses. They're claiming to be the children of Abraham. Claim to love God, love Moses, etc. But Stephen said, no, 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 you missed the whole point. You're accusing me of one thing, and you've done worse than I have. In fact, I haven't done what you've accused me of. Then fed Moses at this saying, and was stranger in the land of Midian, where he begat two sons goes over in a, into a gentile country and when 40 years were expired there appeared to him in the wilderness of mount sinai an angel of the lord in a flame of fire in a bush so what you what happened to moses is also happening now you crucified Jesus. You misunderstood him. You rejected your Redeemer. And so what he's done now, he's gone and taken a Gentile pride. He's beginning to work among the Gentiles. Ooh, hello, somebody. He's working among the Gentiles now. Wow. And when 40 years were expired, there appeared unto him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai an angel of the Lord in a flame of fire in a bush. Someday that's going to happen to you, Israel. God's going to appear to you in a flame of fire in the midst of a bush. In the time of fiery test and trial, he's going to appear to you there. Hello, give God some praise. But God right now is in the process of getting the Gentile church together. But at some point, you're going to turn to him. You're going to see him in the burning, fiery woo, flame that's in the bush. When Moses saw it, he wondered at the sight as he drew near to behold the voice of the Lord. The voice of the Lord came unto him, saying, I am the God of thy fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Then Moses trembled and durst not behold. Then said the Lord to him, Put off thy shoes from thy feet, for the place where thou standing is holy ground. Woo, praise God. I know you've been misunderstood by your brethren, but I'm, come on, I'm still, I've still raised you up to be the Redeemer and Savior out of bondage. That's why I'm appearing to you in this burning bush out here in the desert somewhere. Well, praise God. The place where you're standing is holy ground because wherever I am, that is holy ground. What made the temple holy was because I was there. When I moved out, the temple's no longer holy. Yes! He didn't appear to Moses in a temple over there. He appeared to him in the backside of the desert in the wilderness in a burning, fiery. The glory of God is once seen again. Hello, are you with me still? They're not liking any of this. 
Because they're wanting to hold on to that external. Mm -hmm. All right, ready? You ready? Wow. Verse 34, I have seen, I have seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt. And I have heard their groaning and have come down to deliver them. And now come, I will send thee into Egypt. You've got to go back because you've got to redeem them. You've got to bring them out. Praise God. You with me here? You got the point? The place where you stand is holy ground. Why? Because he's there. Then the scripture says, verse 35, This Moses, whom they refused, saying, Who made thee a ruler and a judge? The same did God send to be a ruler and a deliverer by the hand of the angel which appeared to him in the bush. He brought them out after that he had showed wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea and in the wilderness 40 years. Got it? How did he redeem them? He redeemed them by a lamb. By the blood of the Lamb. Moses is a type of Jesus, the Savior. You rejected him. Praise God. But you're going to recognize that he's the Redeemer going to bring you out of Egypt. And it's by the blood of the Lamb that you get delivered. It's by the work of the cross. If you could just see it, Steve, if you could just see the cross here. By the work of the cross is how you got delivered. And for 40 years, God took them through the wilderness uh, to teach them what the Lamb had done for them. So he gave them one picture after another picture after another picture showing this is what the Lamb did for you. I'm trying to teach you the finished work. But you can't see it. Give God praise. Because, see, we're in the substance times here. He understands that. All right, verse 37. This is that Moses which said unto the children of Israel, A prophet, say a prophet, shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren like unto me. Him shall you hear. You remember what Moses said? He said, there's going to be a prophet like unto me. Don't miss that. That's key. Like unto me. Moses is a type of Jesus, right? Woo, give God praise. He said, the one that's going to come is like me. That he is the prophet. He's not a prophet. He is the prophet. He is the fulfillment. I'm just a type. He's the embodiment of it. But you see, they were claiming that Stephen was speaking against Moses. But it was really they who missed Jesus. And it's they who broke the law of Moses. And it's they that were not understanding Moses. They didn't understand the law. They didn't understand the purpose of the temple. They didn't understand, listen, God. They didn't understand any of these things. They had missed it. They thought all the ritual and the ceremony was permanent. They thought the temple was permanent. They thought the land was permanent. But Stephen said, look, no, there's times you weren't even in the land. There's times it wasn't even a temple, praise God. The temple was not a permanent thing. The land was not a permanent thing. It was only something pointed to somebody. And if you go through the Old Testament, you don't understand that, then you get focused on ceremony. Praise God. If you don't understand that, then you think you've got to keep a day. Promised land is Jesus. The day is Oh, you don't like this. <laughs> Priest. <laughs> so anyway, he's, he's showing them the spiritual reality or the substance of, of the shadows right here. You got that? Wow, this, this is heavy. I'm going real fast because there's a lot of scripture here. All right, here we go. Bible says this. All right, verse 
37. This is that Moses which said unto the children of Israel, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren like unto me. Say, like unto me. The like, like as principle. Like unto him shall ye hear. You should be hearing Jesus. This is he that was in the church in the wilderness. Who? The prophet that was to come was in the church in the wilderness. You didn't know that the glory cloud was Jesus. In fact, you didn't know the glory cloud was in Jesus. You missed the whole thing. He was with you in the wilderness. Not just in the land of Jerusalem. Not just in the temple. He was with you in the wilderness. You can't put God in a box. That's what you're trying to do. He's bigger than just Jerusalem. He's a God for all nations. I'm going to tell you, Pentecostal apostolic people, we can't put God in a box. He's a God for all nations. Problem is, you know, we got some truth. If we're not careful, we'll begin to just, it'll just become a ritual. We've lost God. But we're Pentecostal and we're apostolic, you know. Hallelujah. Well, that doesn't always mean a whole lot. I've been around some Pentecostal apostolic people that hadn't seen God or heard from God or had a move of God in their life for years. But I want you to know that I have to move with God. If God tells me to leave this place, I've got to be willing to go to another place. And here we go. The Bible says, praise God. This is he which was in the church in the wilderness, the called out assembly in the Old Testament, Israel, he was there with the angel which spake to him in the Mount Sinai and with our fathers who received the living oracles to give in us, to whom our fathers would not obey, but thrust him from them and in their hearts turned back again into Egypt. Are you with me here? Said, you know, you're, you're accusing me of not uh, uh, following Moses or speaking against Moses. Remember back in the Old Testament, it was Moses that was rejected by your fathers. They refused to obey him. Oh, you here today. So that every time he ever raised up a Savior, they rejected them and disobeyed them. And that's what they did with Jesus. That's the point. Give God some praise. <laughs> yeah. But see, they, they, they've got this thing about him that they said, no, we're okay. In fact, they were walking around saying, we've never been any man's slave. Lie. You were in captivity over and over and over. Never been any man's slave. Our father's Abraham. No, if your father would have been Abraham, you would have believed me, Jesus said. You are of your father the devil, is what he said. But they're walking around claiming that they know God. Claiming that they got the truth. Same thing can happen to us, church. So the Bible said they disobeyed Moses. Who was their redeemer? Now, go on. The Bible says this. Oh, yeah. Verse 38. This is he that was in the church of the wilderness with the angel which spake to him in the Mount Sinai with our fathers who received the living oracles to give unto them to whom our fathers would not obey but thrust him from them in their hearts turned back again to Egypt. They just backslide. Man, that's the nature of, of the beast. Always wanting to go back to Egypt all the time. Now, what you need to, you know, it really amazes me that these people would even want to go back to Egypt after all the signs and the miracles and the wonders that Jesus did for them. They forgot, you know, he'd do one miracle, one sign one day, and they'd be murmuring and complaining the next day. 
Till ultimately they wanted to go back to the world. We don't have that problem, do we? What has God done for you? What has God done for me? Verse 47 there, and make us gods. Yeah, well, hallelujah. We don't know where God is, so uh, make us gods to go before us. We need somebody to march in front of us. For as for this Moses, which brought us out of the land of Egypt, we want not what has become of him. He's up in the mountain. Hallelujah. That's where God is. Jesus is up in the mountain. In fact, he's in Mount Sinai. At Mount Zion. You are Mount Zion. He's right here. That's where he is. And they made a calf in those days, offered sacrifice unto idols. Man, they got into idolatry. And they claimed to be keepers of the law. Mm-hmm. And rejoice in the works of their own hands. Again, external things. Then God turned and gave them up to worship the host of heaven. As it is written. Say, God gave them up. As it is written in the book of the prophets. O ye house of Israel, have you offered to me slain beasts and sacrifices by the space of 40 years in the wilderness? Yea, you took up the tabernacle of Moloch and the star of your god Ramphan, figures which you have made to worship them, and I will carry you away beyond Babylon. So I'm going to take you, you're going to go into captivity again because of your disobedience and your idolatry. You took your children, offered them to the fire god Moloch there. You worship the host of heaven, and yet you claim to know me. Are y'all with me here? God, they have failed God throughout history. That's what Stephen is saying. You have failed God throughout all of your history. You failed him then, you're failing him now. Nothing has changed. That's pretty, that's pretty heavy, man. Verse 43, yea, you took up the tabernacle among all these false gods. Verse 44, our fathers had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness. As he had appointed, speaking unto Moses, that he should make it according to the fashion that had been, he had seen. Which also our fathers that came after brought in with Jesus, say Joshua, into the possession of the Gentiles, whom God drave out before the face of our fathers unto the days of David. Who found favor before God and desired to find a tabernacle for the God of Jacob. He said, even look at the tabernacle. He said, it was only uh, a transition. It wasn't permanent. He said, the tabernacle went from the tabernacle, uh, the tabernacle of Moses. Then you had the tabernacle of David. Then you had the temple. God was on the move. Can't you see the tabernacle was only transitioning? Don't you see God going? Don't you see God moving here? So you want to keep him in a box. <laughs> you want to keep him in your ritual. Mm. The tabernacle was given to teach you Jesus. You know that. <sighs> Don't you remember what Jesus said? He said he's the true light. Don't you remember what Jesus said in John 8? He said, or John, he said, I'm the true bread that came down from heaven. I'm the true light. I'm the true door. I'm the true sacrifice. Don't you understand all of that? Watch. Okay, here we go. Wow, wow. And then he goes on, he talks about David. 
after the tabernacle, you, you got the, uh, let me read it, so we'll be right here. Verse 45, which also our fathers that came after brought in with judgment the possession of the Gentiles, whom God drave out before the face of our fathers under the days of David, who found favor for God and decided to find a tabernacle for the God of Jacob. So then he takes the ark and he puts it, uh, after he gets it from Obed-Edom's house, and he puts it in a tabernacle called the Tabernacle of David. No sacrifice taking place there. Sacrifice going on over at the Tabernacle of Moses, but the ark is over in the Tabernacle of David, and the only sacrifice that's going on over here is worship and praise 24 hours a day. So we've got redemption here, and we've got, we've got a revelation of redemption in the Old Testament tabernacle of Moses, and we've got a revelation of the Spirit, the throne, and worship and praise in the tabernacle of David. And in the temple, we have both the government and the glory of God brought together there. We have the tabernacle of Moses and the tabernacle of David incorporated into the same temple. But even Solomon understood that the temple is not a place where you can just put God. You can't, you can't clamp him into that place. To try to put him in that place would put him into confinement or to clamp him up. So even Solomon understood that. You with me here? Let me read it to you so you see what I'm saying. But Solomon built him a house. All right. Howbeit the Most High dwelleth not in temples made with hands, as saith the prophet. Even Solomon understood that you couldn't house God. He's the Most High God. Possessor of heaven and earth. Not just a local deity of Jerusalem and a, a local deity into a little compact house. You need to get a true understanding of God. He's bigger than just one geographical area and bigger than one temple. Wow. How be it, verse 48, the Most High dwelleth not in temples made with hands, as saith the prophets. Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What house will you build me, saith the Lord, or what is the place of my rest? Isaiah 66, one, one scripture. Go there, Isaiah 66. I hope you understand that he is the true temple. Isaiah 66, verse 1. Thus saith the Lord, the heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. That is exactly what Stephen's prophets are speaking from. He said, as saith the prophet. Who? The prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 66. Thus saith the Lord, the heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that ye build unto me, and where is the place of my rest? Where is my sanctuary? For all those things hath my hand made, and all those things have been, saith the Lord. But to this man will I look, even to him that is poor, and of a contrite spirit, and trembleth at my word. He said, I'm not looking not just for a physical house. He said, I'm looking for a man to live in. To this man will I look. And so we know that God, that the Bible said that the word became flesh and dwelt among us or tabernacled among us. So that literally Jesus was the dwelling place of God. 
Now, when Jesus ascended up on high, then he poured out his spirit and he moved inside of a new tabernacle. Hello, house of God. Hebrews chapter 3 tells you that you are the house of God. So to this man will I look. Jesus first and foremost, but then Jesus standing up in a church. Jesus, the body, I'm, I look at the body right now, and you are the tabernacle of God. You are the dwelling place of God. You're the place of his rest. God doesn't find rest in a day. He finds rest in a man. If God doesn't find rest in a day, then how can we think we can find rest in a day? You find rest in a man. You find rest in God. I'm looking at you, church. You are the tabernacle of God. The Bible said in Revelation, the tabernacle of God is with man. Who's the tabernacle of God? Jesus is the tabernacle of God. In Matthew 12 and verse 6, Jesus said this, A greater than the temple is here. And he's standing right there in the temple. And he said, I'm greater than all of this external stuff that's going on. So Stephen's trying to get them to say, hey, you need to get a revelation of Jesus. You rejected him. He needs to be revealed to you. You need to see that he's reigning right now. He's inside. Can't you see him inside of me? Can't you see him inside a church? He's not in that temple over there. He's not in the sacrifices of the, of the Passover lamb anymore. He's fulfilled that. He, in fact, he called it the feast of the Jews. He, God, give God praise. I am looking at the house of God right now. I am looking at the tabernacle of God right now. I'm looking at the temple of God. He was looking for you. So that all these houses that he temporarily dwelt in only prefigured Jesus and his church. Read Hebrews chapter 3 and you'll find out what I'm talking about. Give God praise. Now, it's important to understand all these types and shadows because in understanding them, I understand Jesus. In seeing them, I see him. But if I'm just going through the ceremony and all I see is the ceremony, I've missed the whole point of all of it. That's what Stephen's trying to get these people to see. Get a revelation of Jesus. Now watch, let's read a little further. Are y'all getting this? This is so important, church. And, and I know we speak on spiritual things a lot, and, and I know that you probably understand a lot of this, but we need to go over and over and over this thing. Heaven is my throne. Say, heaven is my throne. And the earth is my footstool. What house will you build me, saith the Lord, or what is the place of my rest? God's looking for a place to rest. He found it in Jesus. He found it in you. A place to rest. A sanctuary. You got it, right? To this man. Now, watch. Okay, here we go. Hath not my hand made all these things? Yet you stiff-necked. Oh, boy. Here we go now. Uh, he should have went to uh, uh, the course. Uh, how to win friends and influence enemies. I mean, he just, he's not politically collect, correct. He's not psychologically correct. He don't have it. He, friend, I want you to know he does have it together. But from, 
from their viewpoint, he's lost his mind. No, he hadn't lost his mind. He's got a revelation of Jesus. You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in hearts and ears. Say in heart and ears. You do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so do you. You accuse me of blaspheming the holy place. But he said, you resist the Holy Ghost. He said, you do it, they did it, and you do it now. Which of the prophets have your fathers, not your fathers, persecuted? You mistreated the, listen, you have mistreated the scripture. Which of the prophets came to you and you preached and you did not persecute them? Come on, tell me. He's saying, uh, y'all don't get this, are you? Are you getting a hold of this? Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which showed before uh, what did they show before? The coming of the just one. You've misinterpreted their prophecy. You've misinterpreted the temple. You've misinterpreted Moses. You've misinterpreted Joseph. You've misinterpreted the land. You've misinterpreted Abraham. You've misinterpreted the temple. That's what he's saying here. They declared the coming of the just one. They preached Jesus when they preached. Got it? This is Stephen saying this. And they have slain them which showed before the coming. What did they show forth? The coming of the just one. Of whom you have been now the betrayer and murderers. It's always been like that in your history. One failure after another failure after another failure. And yet claiming at the same time to be righteous with God. And you did it then, and you're doing it now, to the point that you've even rejected the Savior of the world. You missed your Messiah. You missed Jesus, of whom all of that spoke. Give God praise. You claim that I speak against Moses. You crucified the prophet he was a type of. You claim that I speak against Moses. You crucified your Messiah. Now, that's pretty awesome, isn't it? Of whom you have now been betrayers and murderers who have received the law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it. Have not kept it. You claim I speak against the law? You haven't ever kept the law. Never. Never. When they heard these things, say when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed on him with their teeth. They didn't like what he was saying at all. 
So you know what they do? They do this. They go. We don't want to hear it. Now, we, we say amen to that. But how many times you come to church and the word's gone forth and you go like this. In, in your spirit, in your spirit, you shut it out completely. Because it's not what you want. You don't want to hear it that way. You've got a way you want it. You've got a way that you want it to come forth. You've got a way that you want to hear it. You've got preconceived ideas about the word of God. And so they stop their ears. And so the best thing they stop their ears and to drown him out is to rush on him. Act like a bunch of animals. Now, gnash on him with their teeth like ferocious growling animals. They went to it from a friendly crowd, so to speak, to animals in a moment. Because he was going contrary to their belief system. As long as you preach what a person believes, they're with you. But as soon as you start preaching the revelation of the Word of God, I'm talking about the revelation of the Word of God in a true sense, that's when they get mad and walk out. And I'm not talking just about Jews here. I'm talking about apostolic Pentecostals. Oh, I don't know about that. Run out the door. Thank God they run out the door and not rush the, peach, the preacher. I've been in a lot of services where I felt that, man, what this guy was dealing with. I felt that spirit. Hello, somebody. But thank God they didn't rush me. <laughs> Well, you're not. Now, look at this. I want you to see this. Look at the way he. Now, he is a man of grace, Stephen, but he's a man of power. He's just like Jesus. He speaks in grace, but at the same time in power. Jesus said, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will, I will, I will give you rest. I will give you rest. Not a day. I'll give you rest. Come unto me. Oh, if you're thirsty, come unto me. I'll give you drink. Let him drink of me. If you're thirsty, let him drink of me. Me, me. The focus is him. My point is, he says, Come unto me, all of you that labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. But then at the other, on the other hand, he says this. You can't follow me except you take up your cross and deny yourself. So one minute he says, come unto me, all of you that labor. And then the next minute he says, you can't follow me unless you're willing to take up your cross. What I'm saying is this. He says, one grace, come. And then another one in power, he says, you can't follow me unless you take up your cross. And when he says the latter, it almost causes them not to dare follow him. 
is my point. So that Stephen is speaking. Now he's preaching all these things. And he wants them to get a revelation of Jesus. He wants them to see Jesus in him. He wants to see Jesus in, in the fulfillment of all of these things. But they're refusing to see it. And so now he lays the hammer down. And he said, you stiff-necked. Now I wonder if he said, bless your little heart, you little stiff-necked people. God, God bless you. I just... Yeah, I hate to talk like that, but you sweet things, you know, you're so precious, you stiff-necked precious people. Okay? See, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, men have put God in a box. So that now they say, God, don't talk like that. You better get in the Word of God and find out how God does talk. Because one minute He speaks from grace, another speaks, and then He comes in power. And this is the way he is appearing. Now he is appearing, Jesus is appearing in Stephen. And when he appears in Stephen, he's standing up in Stephen. Just like he stood up in all of these Old Testament types and shadows, he was standing up in all of them. Stephen said, look, look at him stand up there. Look at him stand up in the temple. Look at him stand up in the tabernacle. Look at him stand up in Moses. Look at him stand up in Joseph. Look at Now he's standing up in me. But you are stiff-necked and uncircumcised of heart. You do always resist the Holy Ghost. You're always fighting God. Always fighting God. Who us? We've never been any man's slave. Our father's Abraham. You don't even know God. Who do you think you are pointing a finger at us, Stephen? Talking to us like that. Don't you know who we are? Yeah, he did know who they were. And so he's trying to get them to see Jesus. And because they refuse to submit to the Lord, then now he said, you are stiff-necked and uncircumcised of heart. You do always resist the Holy Ghost. My question is, where's Peter at right now? Where's John right now? Where's all the, the, these faithful men, you know, hallelujah, in the church? I don't hear not one of their names being called out there. Stephen can't look, down, look over there and say, hey, thanks for being here for me, Peter. Thanks for being here for me, John. No, he's there all by his little lonesome. Preaching to animals. I know you don't like that, but Paul said this. I've wrestled with the beast of Ephesus. And I don't think he was just talking about physical animals. I think he was talking about spiritual, religious people at Ephesus. I wrestled with those beasts. I wrestled with men. Wrestling with animals is easier than wrestling with men. And so as a result of that, they stop their ears and they rush him. They rush him. Whew, we got to get rid of this guy. See, either we go or he goes. Either what we believe goes or what he's preaching is true. Both of them can't.
coexist at the same time. Our religion, our understanding, all of these years has to be swallowed up in the full fulfillment or the field fullness of Jesus Christ. He's got to go or we got to go. He's messing with what we believe. Nationally with their teeth, like animals, growling. Beast rising up in them. You just cross somebody's thinking. I had a pastor friend. He just started a church. Uh, uh, not started a church. He, he started pastoring a church. And uh, everything, when I, when I saw him, he'd been pastoring for a few months. And I said, how's things going? He said, good, real good. I said, and it will go good until you cross their thinking. As long as they can make a howling out of you, and as long as they can tell you what to do and run you, everything's going to be just fine. But when you cross their thinking, that's when you're going to have war on your hands. Now, what most preachers have done, they don't do what Stephen does. They cow down. They give in to that rebellion. They give in to that uncircumcised heart. They, come on. I'm talking about Stephen, not me. So you might as well get in here with me. Stephen did not do that. He knew he was facing certain death. I said he knew it. Now, hey, man, you look at these people, they're, they're starting to growl like animals. I guarantee you, you might, you might start thinking, man, I need to resort to some po uh, positive mental conversation right now because they're getting unhappy with me real quick <laughs> and they're not just getting unhappy they're starting to look like animals about to tear me apart man and that's the way most preachers are today they don't have the spirit of Stephen because they don't listen they've got the spirit of Jesus many of them but they they don't walk in courage they're afraid <laughs> of what the people will do to them but you know what? Jesus has to stand up. And really, really, he's trying. Stephen is the best friend they've got. Because he's telling. Just like he's standing up in me. Just like he stood up in all of that Old Testament type and shadow. You need to let him stand up in you. You need to get a revelation of him. And stop resisting him. And stop fighting him. Stop in the spirit. People say, well, I don't resist the spirit. Well, are you quenching it? Quench not the spirit. Despise not prophesying. Stephen is the best friend they've got because he's confronting them in their error. He will do them absolutely no good if he agrees with them. He'll save his own skin, but he won't save the peoples he's preaching to. He won't save his soul. 
So he's got, he's got to, listen, he's got to go with God now, man. He don't have a choice now. He's got to go with God. He is literally suffering the sufferings of Christ. Which of the prophets, now I read that to you, right? Oh, well, you didn't believe the prophets, and they preached about the just one. Who have received the law by this and have not kept it. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. Man, that's serious. But being full of the Holy Ghost... When Jesus stands up, when he appears, there is always the upsurge of the demonic. Don't ever forget that. There is an upsurge of the demonic. When the redeemers and the saviors came to Israel in the Old Testament, there was an upsurge of evil. You with me here? When Jesus came, as soon as Jesus went out there and he took the battle to the enemy... Right after that, you read the Gospels. Right after that, when he comes in to Jerusalem, there is an upsurge of demonic activity every time that Jesus stands up. And when Jesus is standing up in a church, when God is really moving, there is going to be an upsurge of the demonic so that these people are not filled with the Spirit. they got demons working in them. They are closing. I know they, they don't want to hear that, but they do. They've got demons working in them. So that when Jesus stands up, then they just don't, they know as close there is and rush on him and gnash on them. That's demonic. Remember that. You're going to go through intense warfare. And it's because Jesus is being manifest. Jesus is being seen. Glory on his face. The glory of God that appeared to Abraham. Now, the Bible said he's going to see the glory of God. Jesus stand on the right hand of God. So now the glory of God stand up. Jesus stand up. And because of that, there's an upsurge of the demonic. Don't forget that. Listen to me, church. Look at this. I'm going to ask you right now where you are in your standing up in Jesus. Are you in the outer court only? Only looking for what he'll do for you. Bless me, bless me, bless me. Outer court. All right, you with me? Are you in the, the place of power? The most holy place. Are you standing that high? Good. But have you moved all the way up into his headship, his lordship? Where the glory of God is seen. Where's the glory of God seen? It's seen in the most holy place. Most holy God doesn't dwell in temples made with hands. He dwells in you. So he's standing up. Now he's standing up in every one of you right now. He's standing up at the height of the outer court in you. Or he's standing up in the height of the most holy place in you. Or he is standing all the way up in you. And, because he has to stand up in you before he stands up for you. He is standing up in Stephen. And then he's standing up for Stephen. Got to hear me. What level is he standing up in you? Will determine the level of demonic attack. 
against you. So if you're really going through some war right now, some fight right now, and mental anguish right now, mental struggle right now, I want you to know that you need to just keep on going because Jesus is standing up in you. And because of that, there is an upsurge of warfare that's coming against you. You have to understand this. That the cross, there is an offense to the cross. The cross is laid out in the tabernacle. Look at it. There is an offense to that message. There is an offense to the cross. It must offend. You're not hearing me. If the cross does not offend, then, it's you, then you've taken the geometry of the cross away. Do you understand what I'm trying to tell you? It must offend. The cross is an offense to those who don't believe. If the cross never offends, you have taken its geometry away. Give God praise. What am I telling you? Is that it's got a, a bar that goes like this. Godward. Suffering unto God. It's got a cross bar that goes this way. Suffering unto men. So there's always an offense to the cross. He's standing there. Jesus is standing there. This man is going to be, in a sense, hanging with Jesus on a cross. And there is an offense that's taking place there. And animals that were around the cross of Jesus there. The bulls of Bashan that were there. The, God. All those animals that were around Jesus are now gathered there against Stephen because Stephen is suffering the same thing. Because Jesus is being seen in him in suffering. And so they're offended. Give God praise. If you always walk around, and if you're a preacher, always trying to appeal to flesh and appeal to their liking, then you have missed the purpose of the cross, because the cross brings offense. It must bring suffering. There's one sacrifice yet to be made. It's me, and it's you. Not a sacrifice for sin, but a sacrifice for usefulness. Jesus died for Stephen's sin. But Stephen died for usefulness. Jesus was sacrificed for his sin. Stephen was sacrificed for his usefulness. And there is no way that you can go through this life as Stephen has preached to them. And live and serve Jesus without persecution. It's impossible if the cross is standing up in you. If Jesus is standing up in you, it is impossible for you not to suffer the same. Not for sin, but for usefulness. Now I'm going to show you. They're offended. They're offended at Jesus. 
Go to Colossians. Now, I don't have time to preach this whole chapter to you, but I'm, and I'm coming to a close here. But Colossians 1. Verse 24. Who now rejoice in my sufferings for you. My sufferings for you. Stephen is suffering for them that he's preaching to. 124. Who now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up, fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. He's filling up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ. Which means this is that there is a continual travailing. That has taken place until we move into the full ultimate manifestation of Jesus in a body. And so you've got a man that's suffering. Trying to bring a church into maturity. They will stand up and Jesus can be seen in them. But always remember that's going to be an offense of the cross. If not you take the geometry of the, geometry of the cross away. And there's two sacrifices. His for sin and yours for usefulness. So that now Stephen is suffering for them. Because he is trying to get them where he is in God. Because neither, listen, Paul nor the church of Colossae can move into that Highest place in God. If he's trying to get them to grow up. And he, come, he's filling up what's lacking in them. So he's trying to get them. Come on, grow up here. Take some of the load off of me here. Stand up in full maturity. So that you can manifest Jesus here. And not Paul or that church. Listen to me. Can move in the final place of glory. Until they both get the same level. That's why Paul says, I'm suffering for you, the body, the church. I have to go through it. Because I'm trying to get you to grow up. Where you're lacking, I fill in. I take up the slack. Until you get where you need to be in God. And that's what Stephen is trying to get these people to see. He has to die. I said he has to die. In order for the glory to be revealed. They have to see Jesus standing up in him. And see Jesus standing at the right hand of God. The place of the throne. In order for them to get out of what they are. And where they are. There has to be death. Somebody has to die. Jesus died for sin. He died for usefulness. But everybody has to die because somebody's lacking somewhere. And that is the only way that Jesus can stand up is when I die and you die. Are you with me? Give God praise.
And they were raised up in human power. So that he can be seen in us. Resented, revealed, and reigning. Stephen is resented, revealed, and then reigns with him. And he's trying to get them, Brother Patrick, he's trying to get the religious people that are around him, that hate him, that despise him, that are resisting what he's saying, resisting the move of God. He's trying to get them where he is. If he's not, he died needlessly. But I'm telling you, he did not die needlessly because there's a man by the name of Paul who wrote the book of Col Col Colossians who comes up as fruit of his death and becomes the greatest understander and preacher of New Testament revelation and, come on, Old Testament teaching in the light of New Testament revelation that has ever lived. Watch. A little, little further, and I'm going to close. Colossians 1. He said, I'm, I'm <clears throat> fill up that which is behind the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. Say his body. Wherefore I am a minister according to the dispensation of God. Oh, I'm not going to preach this to you. Dispensation is not just a period of time, not just a period of time, it's a volume. It's a volume. What? Okay, here we go. Which is given to, me, given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, even the ministry which have been hid from the ages and from generation, but now is made manifest, say manifest, to the saint, to his what? His saints. Not just the preachers, but to his saints. They've got a revelation. They've seen it. To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now watch, go back to Acts 7, I'm closing. Upsurge of the demonic, man. Watch. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. They gnashed on him with their teeth. But he being full of the Holy Ghost. <laughs> now, I'm going to tell you right now. It, 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 you know, I don't really need to explain this. But if you don't understand that the Holy Ghost is not the third person in the Trinity, then you need to get into 101. The Holy Ghost is the Spirit of God. In what? In movement among men and in men. Spirit of the Father. Spirit of Jesus. Same thing. Holy Ghost is the Spirit. The same Spirit of the one who walked the earth. He's full of the Holy Ghost. He's full of the same Spirit of the one that was crucified a few years ago. So Jesus is standing up in him in what? In fullness. Filled to the full. Got it? Now watch, listen. Well, some of you will say, well, 
I'm in Christ and Christ is in me. What are you talking about how high is Jesus standing up in me? In Him, we live and move and have our, say with me, being. The word is being. In Him, we live. Live, move, and have our being. The question is not in Him or if He's in you, but is being. In Him we live and move and have our being. That's what I'm talking about. Being in Him. Where is He in your life? Is He in fulfillment? Is He in fullness? Standing up in you? Or is He just standing up in the outer court in you? Got the Holy Ghost? Good. Stand up in you in the power of Pentecost. But what about His glory? Most holy. Fullness. Say He was full of the Holy Ghost. The Spirit of the one who walked the earth a few years ago that was crucified was standing up in Stephen. <laughs> And so he takes the Old Testament Scripture and says, can't you see him? See him now? It so affected Paul, it brought his conversion. Because he knew, Paul knew what he had was external. But what Stephen had was internal. And Paul's understanding of the external wasn't even correct. He was caught up in, the, in the, the, the traditions of the elders. Now, there's some good traditions, but the traditions of the elders, they weren't good. Hello. Now, watch. He's, Paul, what is Paul seeing? He's seeing Jesus. But he being full, verse 55, of the Holy Ghost. Say Holy Ghost. Same spirit of the one. When you say, why do they say Holy Ghost to the Holy Spirit? <laughs> Nothing wrong with saying Holy Spirit. But why do, we, why do we Pentecostals say Holy Ghost? Why do we emphasize the term Holy Ghost? Because we want you to know the same spirit that we got was the one who walked the earth and was crucified. It's the ghost of Jesus. That's why the King James translated it like that. Because they wanted you to know it's the same Spirit. Other Bibles were translated Holy Spirit. King James translated Holy Ghost. And I don't have a problem with either one. I'm just showing you why. He's full of the Holy Ghost. The Ghost of Jesus is standing up again. And watch how high he stands up in him. I'm telling you, the word being is important. In him we live and move and have our being. It's not a question about being in him, but where are you being right now? Where are you located? Now watch. Wow, God's good, isn't he? 
But he being full of the Holy Ghost looked up steadfastly into heaven. And what did he see? Saw the glory of God. Now, what? Let's keep reading then. Saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. Jesus stood up in him before he stood up for him. And in the midst of an upsurge of demonic attack, Jesus' glory is seen. A manifestation of Jesus takes place. Watch. Listen. He saw Jesus standing on the right hand of God. Oh, yeah. Saw the glory of God. Jesus standing on the right hand of God. Say standing. Now, I thought he, Hebrews talks about he sat down on the right hand of God. Now he's standing in the right hand of God. What is the difference? Because when he sat down, he fulfilled the Old Testament priesthood. The Levitical, Levitical priesthood was fulfilled when he sat down. But now he's standing up here in this chapter. What's he doing? He's identifying with the sufferings. Of his body. Melchizedek when he come forth. He brought forth wine and bread. What is that? It is a manifestation of the sufferings of Christ. That he's presenting. So we've got a body. We've got part of his body. Stephen suffering here. And so Jesus is standing up as a Melchizedek priest. Showing you the sufferings of the body of Christ. A Melchizedek priesthood. That's going to be seen in a five-fold ministry. And a church. Give God praise. So he sat down, fulfilled Aaron. But he stood up. He's a Melchizedek priest. He's, the, he's a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Okay, right? Are you with me here? What's this. Standing on the right hand of God. Does that mean that we, listen, I know, I know, I'm, don't leave now. Spirit, body, or otherwise. If you do, I'll lock the door and you will not come back in here. I'm telling you the truth. You're talking about, a, you're looking at a man that's serious. I'll lock the door and you won't come back in here. You leave now. Hello. Now. See, Jesus, he sees the glory of God. Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see. Now, boy, that really blew people's mind when I said that. <laughs> I'm serious, though. Yeah, I'm real serious. And said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man. What he just said to them is that, watch, do you think that Stephen saw the Spirit of God, and then Jesus standing on the right hand of the Spirit of God. No man has seen God at any time. So if you interpret that to mean that you've got God, the Spirit of God here, and then Jesus apart, separate from Him, you are so, you need to go see a psychologist. 
Because no man has seen God at any time. What Stephen saw was the glory of God. Doesn't say he saw the Spirit of God separate from the Son. He saw the glory of God. Where do you see it? In the face of Jesus Christ. So you talk about the right hand, you're talking about a place, a position of power, authority, mediation, salvation, victory, symbolic speech. In fact, Jesus is the yoke of God. He is the hand of God. With me? Okay. So then what we see here is that we see Jesus standing here. Right hand of God. He is in a position of power, mediation, salvation, victory, and glory as God and man at the same time. Right? Be clear what he saw. He didn't see the Spirit of God. He saw the glory of God. Where do you see it? In the face of Jesus Christ. Right hand is a figure of speech. He goes on, he says this. And said, Behold, I see the heavens of the Son of Man. Now he has a term Son of Man. That would send them immediately to Daniel chapter 7. Where he is seen sitting on the throne. The Ancient of Days. So now Stephen say, You know what? Hey, he's got all power. He's got all authority. He is the Savior. He is in a position of mediation as the man. When you see the glory of God, you don't see him in the face of Jesus Christ. The same God that appeared to Abraham in Ur Chaldees. Now you can see him in Jesus. He's a manifestation of the Father. And he's the Ancient of Days that's going to sit on the throne. In Daniel chapter 7, he's the Ancient of Days. Son of man. That Daniel prophesied about. And access to God only comes through him and no other. It does not come through a sacrificial system. It does not come through a temple. It does not come through a land. Access to God comes only through his mediation. You can only get to God through him and by him. He is God. That's what, now that, whoo boy, you talk about blowing their mind. You don't believe me? Get you need to go one on one. Hallelujah! Should try to separate them out. When you get to heaven, you're only going to see one throne, and there's only going to be one sitting on the throne, and his name is Jesus. Now I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just, you know. Now watch this. They saw the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice. Shut up. Shut up. We can't handle it anymore. Shut up. We don't want to hear your truth. We don't want to hear the truth. Don't tell us the truth. Don't confuse me with facts. Don't tell me anything different from what I've always believed and I'll, I'll be with you. Don't confuse me with the facts. Now watch this. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears. He understood what Stephen, they understood what Stephen was saying. 
they understood that, that he claimed that Jesus was God and the only way to God was through his sacrifice. That he is the Savior and has all power and all authority. He's the mediator between God and man. The man Christ Jesus. Wow. But, but what about? And they look over there and there's their temple and all their sacrifice. But what about? But what about? What? Stephen's saying, look up. Get a revelation of Jesus. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord. Man, he wasn't politically correct at all, was he? <laughs> he, would, he, would have been, he wouldn't last it very long as a pastor in, in a Pentecostal apostolic church, I guarantee you. <laughs> oh, that shocked you. Cast him out of the city. Get him out of this city, man. He's not even worthy to be in this city. Well, he went to the same place that Jesus went. Outside the city. And they stoned Stephen. Well, cast him out of the city. Stoned him. All right? So they gnashed on him with their teeth. They take him. They kick him out of the city. Now. They take him to a place where in, in Israel they would execute them. It's called the Rock of Execution. And they would first get that man and they would throw him down. Now listen to me real careful. But Stephen has a passion for substance. A passion for Jesus standing up. And because of that, he will not bow down to their religion. But to cool a man's passion, hear me, to cool a man's passion, they would take him out to the place of the rock of execution and give him an opportunity to lose his passion and confess he was wrong. Well, let's see, Stephen, if you still got the same fire you had in there in that, in that room. We take you over here. We're going to let you confess first or, or you're going to die. We'll see if you're still as passionate about it when you're dying as you are when you got the approval of men. Anybody can preach when they got the approval of men. But when you stand up and you know you're not being approved. Preacher, you're going to die. We're going to make sure you're going to die. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Confess or die. And that's where it was. They were trying to cool his passion. So they first would take him and they'd throw him down the rock of execution. And then the first person who testified against him, witnessed against him, would be the one that would have to throw the first rock. We need to go to that, go, maybe go back to that kind of stuff, don't we? <laughs> the first one that accuses him gets to throw the first rock. You see what I'm saying? And uh, so the Bible goes on and it says this. Now look. Cast him out of the city, stone him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. Saul would never forget what he heard and what he saw in Stephen. He would never forget it. So they cast him down. They stoned him there. And they stoned Stephen. Say stone Stephen. It looked like 
the material stone defeated the spiritual stone of the house of God. Because Stephen is a true stone of God's house. And it looked like the material stone outweighed it and defeated it. But it didn't. <laughs> and just like Moses was tempted to be a mummy. Or to walk in the parade of life. He chose to walk in the parade of life. Instead of being mummified and put in a pyramid. Right. Stephen chose. Just to change addresses. And it looked like the physical was winning, but it didn't. They stoned Stephen. Say, Stephen means a crown. He's talking about glory. He's talking about reaching that dimension in God. Jesus standing all the way up. Crown. Say, Stephanos. Say, crown. Call, now, they stoned Stephen calling upon who? God. Who? God. Are you sure that's right? Are you sure that it shouldn't say the second person of the Godhead? No, it says Stephen, as they stoned Stephen, calling upon God saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He's not confused about who Jesus is. He calls Jesus God saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirits. And he kneeled down. Oh, wow. And cried with a loud voice. It's a loud voice. Lord. Lay not this sin to their charge. It has to be charged to somebody. If it's not laid to those that did it, charge, then it has to be laid upon somebody else. It was laid upon Jesus. If Stephen, if Stephen had not prayed that prayer, there would not have been a Paul. But because Stephen said, lay not this sin to their charge, it had to be laid on Jesus. There was an Apostle Paul that came out of it. Yeah. Shalabaha. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Isn't that awesome? Awesome. And Saul was consenting unto his death. There he is. And at that time there was a great persecution against the church. I say persecution. When there's a standing up of Jesus, there's always persecution. There was great persecution against the church, which was at, say with me, Jerusalem. They made it to, that's, that's. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles and devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great Lamentation over him. And then we have Paul come on the scene. Let's pray. Father God, Jesus 
is your name. I am thankful today, Father, that you have stood up in us. I'm thankful, Lord, that at the same time that there is an upsurge of demonic activity and persecution that accompanies it. But in order for us to experience the glory of God, we have to let you stand up in us before you stand up for us. And I pray, oh God, that I would never get religious. I don't want to be religious. I run from it. I don't want to become ritualistic, ceremonial. I don't want to be a part of a club, a social group. But I'm a part of the church of the living God. Members in particular. In your body. Raise up this church in Odessa, Texas. To stand and declare the reality of Jesus Christ. That He is God. Oh, hallelujah. That He is God and that He is the, the Savior. The only way to God, the one who is on the throne. Absolute deity. With absolute power and authority. And I thank you today, Jesus, that I stand before you. At the same time, you stand in me. And I worship you and I cry, holy, holy, holy. In Jesus' name. One question for you and I'm going to let you go home. When Stephen saw the glory of God, wonder what he saw. He saw the glory of God in the face of Jesus. But I wonder where all that glory was coming from. When the seraphim cried, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, He which was, which is, which is to come. They are creating glory there. So, the same one that redeemed us is the same one who created the heavens and the earth and is the same one that appeared to Abraham. The God of glory. The God of the Old Testament is the God of the New. And I'm thankful I know Him. But I want Him to stand up in me. I want people to see Jesus in me. I'm, I'm not talking about just getting saved. I'm not talking about the new birth. I'm talking about being. In Him we live. One. And move. Two. And have our being. Three. If it was just about you getting saved, I wouldn't have to get upset, get excited, get concerned, preach with fire, preach with power, and preach with grace. It was just about saved because most of you are saved. But that's just the beginning of the whole thing. Not the end of it. All right, well, y'all come back tonight at 5. Praise the Lord.
Will you do that for Bible study? <laughs> we have good Bible study. Some of you think, man, did the Bible study. I'm not going to waste my nothing. It's a good Bible study because Jesus shows up. From 5 to 5.30, then 5.30 prayer, 6 o'clock church. Good. God bless y'all. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Hallelujah. <clears throat> How many of y'all want to let Jesus stand up in you even if it means death? It may cost us that. Hallelujah. But I love Jesus. His grace is sufficient for us. Amen. We'll see you tonight. Hallelujah. <clears throat>